The last bullet was for me. My name is Gary. I grew up in a small town and learned about the history of Christ, but I was not aware that a personal relationship was available to me. As I grew older, I got involved with alcohol and drugs. I even joined a local motorcycle gang. I was searching to be a part of something that was bigger for me, something that I could be part of a brotherhood. But after numerous run-ins with the law and a failed relationship, I was spiraling out of control. I was out of my mind on drugs, enraged and depressed. I planned to end my life. But I wanted to make a mark on society, so I loaded up my automatic rifle with a full uh, intention of eliminating some people at a local bar that had given me a lot of trouble. But the last bullet was for me. On the way there, I didn't have my music turned up full volume as, norm as normal, so it was extremely quiet. Less than three stoplights before my destination, I heard an audible voice that said, Don't do this. I have plans for you. I immediately pulled off the side of the road, turned on my overhead light, but no one was there. Then came an incredible flood of feelings from sorrow to shame. At the same time, a certain peace came over me. Jesus is real. He still wanted a relationship with me, even after all that I had become. So I cried out, Jesus, help me. After wiping away the tears from my eyes, I drove back to my apartment, and I found a little New Testament that my father in Wellsburg, West Virginia, had given me years ago. I turned to the back page and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, based on the promise contained in John 3.16. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I'm in seminary and ordained as a chaplain in a Christian motorcycle club. I still use that small testament from the Gideons to witness to people. Now let's learn a little bit more about the Gideon ministry. Just as the distribution was ended, someone placed a testament in my outstretched hand. 
that one testament had a great impact on our lives and our family. This is an opportunity for me to have a new testament. As I began to read the book of Revelations, I could see how much God loved me. It was like for the first time in my life that, that I really felt acceptance. I'm fixing up this drug, and I see the Gideon's Bible over there. But there was, there was a force compelling me to pick this up. You know, he says he'd take away all the weights and burdens that you have. They were gone. It has given me hope for daily living in the worst circumstances of my life. Then I knew that there was someone who loved me. All I said was, yes, Lord. And, and it was like a, I was born again right there. You probably know that the Gideons are an association of Christian business and professional men who place Bibles in motels and hotel rooms. What you probably don't know is we can't operate our equipment. But there are over 260,000 Gideons and their wives serving as your missionaries an extension of your church in 200 countries of the world. Now, our purpose of the Gideons is to win others to Jesus Christ through three ways. First of all, association of Christian business and professional men for service. Christian business and professional men still face the same challenge in our testimonies for Christ that business and professional men did 120 years ago when this ministry was founded, namely sexual immorality, alcohol abuse, and gambling. However, we face even more temptations today, such as easy access to pornography, unethical business practices, and an anti-Christian cultural presence. The Association of Men for Service provides opportunity for business and professional men to engage in one another's lives, conversations to deal with the temptations of today, and a platform for transparency and accountability amongst like-minded men. In these activities, special opportunities exist for men to experience God and grow in faith while being involved in the work of our ministry. Secondly, our personal testimony and personal work by individual Gideons. Personal work derives from a man's relationship with Christ. Personal work involves what a man does with others as a result of that relationship. The Gideons International is intentional in its efforts to assist Christian business or professional men are maintaining a strong personal testimony for Christ. These intentional efforts include practical instruction in spiritual disciplines and activities for spiritual growth, such as daily Bible reading plans and prayer. We also include scriptural memorization and weekly prayer meetings. Our third effort to win others is through distribution of the scriptures. 
Placing and distributing God's holy word has been a key soul-winning initiative of the ministry since 1908. God has blessed placing and distributing his holy word as an extension of associating together for service and our personal testimony and personal work. Locally, this year, we placed 150 Bibles, like this one, at hotels and motels throughout Thurston County. We also traditionally have booths at Yelm Prairie Days, Lake Fair, and the Thurston County Fair. And this year, we distributed almost 3,800 New Testaments like this one at those fairs. We also have a Gideon Bible application for smartphones that contains over 1,100 languages. And we've distributed over 1,300 of these also at the fairs. A couple of years ago at Yelm Prairie Days, one of our Gideon members, Arnie Rollins, had the opportunity to share the plan of salvation that's contained at the back of every little New Testament that we hand out. Arnie explained that the young man, whose name was Chris, that God loves him, but that he was a sinner and needed to accept God's provision and free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. My wife and I watched and prayed as Chris focused on the message that Arnie shared. At the conclusion, Arnie asked Chris if he would like to receive Christ, and he said yes. This is why we distribute Bibles and share the gospel, because we know according to Isaiah 55:11, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This fall, we handed out about 325 New Testaments at the Evergreen State and South Puget Sound Community Colleges. We also distributed New Testaments to high school and middle schools throughout Thurston County. Here is a testimony from one of our recent South Puget Sound Community College distributions. This is in the Gideon's words, The Lord had a young man about 20 come by me that made my day. His name I will not share. I'll call him seeking for answers. I noticed that he had a fresh black eye and a beat-up face. So we struck up a conversation, and you got to know this guy, Gideon, he would do this. I gave him a physical exam of his nose. His nose was not broken, but he was. The night before, he was beaten up and kicked, and while he was down, five thugs stole his phone and his wallet. So opening that college New Testament, I showed him the helps in the front. And then I went to the back page, and we went together that plan of salvation. At the end, he confirmed that he believed that Jesus Christ, and we quickly prayed together. So why am I here today? Because despite the fact that our ministry is accomplishing so much, the need for God's word is even greater in this world. It is estimated that there are over 4 billion people in the world without God's word. So what are we doing to reach the world? Last year, the Guineans worldwide distributed over 87 million scriptures. And since our inception, we've distributed over 2.2 billion scriptures. Every year, the Guineans conduct concentrated scripture distributions throughout the world, or we know them as blitzes. I had the opportunity to participate in such a distribution in Kenya, East Africa, the first two weeks in September 2014. So let me tell you a little bit more about that. By way of review, Kenya is an equatorial country in Africa on the East Coast. 
If you look at a closer map, look at the bottom center, that's where the capital of Nairobi is. And we spent the first two week of our first week of our blitz in Nairobi. The second week we were in the western side by Lake Victoria in a city called Kisumu. You know, although Nairobi is a modern city, the further you go in the rural areas, the more you recognize the fact that Kenya is really a third world country. And in fact, if you take a brief, brief glimpse, this is their idea of strip malls. Here are their shopping malls. And they do have supermarkets. They also have a transportation system, complete with speed bumps. They also have traffic circles. When I asked a, uh, one of the uh, Kenyan Gideons what the rules of the road was, he gave me a puzzled look. And he said, what rules of the road? So I kind of developed my own set based on my observation. First, the first one to a spot takes it. Except the biggest vehicle has the right-of-way. Or if you flash your lights first, you have the right-of-way. A short, polite tap of the horn means that it's a warning to pedestrians, bikes, and motorcyclists to clear the road because a bigger, faster vehicle is coming. However, a longer, more pronounced honk means I'm actually getting annoyed at you and you're driving. But in two weeks, I only heard this once or twice. I would say the Kenyans must be the best drivers in the world because they're very polite and patient and have the ability to miss pedestrians, bikes, motorcycles by only a few inches. This is their form of mass trans transit. They also have taxis. This is called a tuk-tuk. Don't pronounce, mispronounce it like I did. I called it a tuk-tuk. The Kenyans wouldn't let me forget. But this is an enclosed motorcycle. I say it can hold either four Kenyans or two Americans. If you look in the back, that's my photographer, Jason, who went with me. We went shopping our last day in Kenyan. But they do have motorcycles, and you can see here's a man dressed on his way to work. People actually rent these motorcycles to go to and from work, but it's by far and ahead the most dangerous form of transportation because they dart in and out of traffic. This was our backup plan if we couldn't get taxis. Fortunately, we did. Here is our team in Gideons. We were a combination of local Gideons supported by 22 international members, 18 from the United States, one from Germany, one from Sweden, one from England, and one tall guy in the back from South Africa. Our purpose was to support the local camps in their distribution of scriptures and the presentation of the gospel. But it didn't take long for all of us to bond together. Here's a picture of our hotel in Nairobi. I'm hesitant to show it because it is a four-star hotel by Kenyan standards. The reason we went there was two reasons, one for security, and also so we could get good meals in the mornings and the evenings because we had to be out. And it wasn't always safe to eat on the economy. Here's an idea. It's a gated, controlled access. In fact, the security was so good, this is where President Obama stayed when he was in Kenya. 
Each Sunday while we were in the country, we spoke at churches like we are today. The first week I spoke at a uh, Pentecostal church that was outside of Nairobi, but it had high security with gated walls. They actually wanted you when you came in. This was the second church that I spoke at that was an Anglican church. You can see the large covered areas on the outside. It was so crowded that both the areas were also filled. Normally the church would have three services because this was a special occasion. They had two services. At the second service, two choirs sang. One sang in the native language, which is Swahili, and the other sang in English. Both were wonderful to hear. Primary distribution points were schools. And there were a lot of schools in this country because it had 44 million people in an area the size of the state of Texas. By comparison, Texas has 26 million people. Many of the schools had minimal signage and were hard to find. But one of the things that impressed me on my first day was the throngs of kids that were pressing in. And in fact, they all wanted to get their hands on Bibles. Bible is the national textbook of Kenya but nobody can afford to have them, including the schools. I'd also notice something else interesting. I know I speak funny, but the first day all the kids were giggling when I spoke. And they all uh, wanted to either shake hands or give me high fives. It wasn't until the end of the day that I realized I was the first Mzungo, or white man, they had ever seen, even though they were only 30 miles from the capital city. Uh, thankfully, it was in a great context of receiving Bibles, and we loved them so much, we traveled literally halfway around the world to deliver them. Here was my first school distribution. The lady in the back is Monica. Monica typifies many of the head teachers or schoolmasters. She was a teacher of this academy that was apparently so small it wasn't even recognized as a school. It only had about 60 students. Monica was actually surprised to see the Gideons because we hadn't been able to contact her beforehand. But she welcomed us with open arms. And in her opening meeting, she had a beautiful prayer that indicated a deep knowledge of God and his word. But Monica explained that the only scripture the teachers and students had was a pamphlet entitled Seven Steps to Heaven that she had acquired for free in Nairobi. Again, she stated that not even the parents had enough money to buy Bibles for their students. So after our distribution, Monica led the children in a course of read your Bible every day, which I thought was ironic because until this day, they had never even seen, much less owned a Bible. As stated, our primary purpose of the Blitz was to distribute scriptures. We handed out a combination of Swahili and English languages, Swahili was usually to the elementary school level or to the rural schools. Almost always the secondary school students wanted English because they were learning English. To expedite a process, we'd take a case of 100, flip it upside down, and take off these paper bands, which got to be quite annoying after a while, (laughs) as Doug can attest to. We had two ways of distributing the scriptures. One, we started out in the schoolrooms, and this gives you an idea of what the schoolroom looked like. There's no electricity, so no lights, no desks, just these benches, 
they have rudimentary chalkboards and no whiteboards. But we found a more efficient method was assemblies. At the center of all the schools was an assembly area. So we would line the schools up, students up. Usually we'd line them by uh, gender and by age. And here you can see me making a distribution. You might notice that girl in front is curtsying. This was quite common. They would curtsy and thank us for the New Testaments because they were thrilled to receive them. Afterwards, we'd actually have them hand out, hand up, hold up the scriptures that had been distributed. Again, in this picture, you can see these are Swahili. Notice these students, even though it's in the mid-80s, are wearing sweaters. <laughs> and I'm dying in my, I'm dressed just like this with a coat on. <laughs> we also gave out full Bibles to the administrators and teachers for their classrooms and offices. And these teachers were literally dancing in the student lounge when they received them. I had another special opportunity. Uh, there was an event at a college, and uh, the dean of students was one of the Gideon members, so he and I went to the college and I had an opportunity to distribute scriptures and share the gospel message. Here's a picture of the dean, Wilfred, on the left. His son is in the center, and another student is on the right. Our ladies, who we call the auxiliary, also participated. So here's the Kenyan ladies auxiliary uh, distributing scriptures at a local hospital. One day when we got done early distributing scriptures and waiting for others, uh, one individual had noticed there was a hospital down the road. So we did an ad hoc distribution at this hospital. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Our exauri women also had an opportunity to go to a women's prison, and here they are distributing. Our men also had an opportunity to go to a prison to distribute scriptures. And here you can see, even though they're prisoners, they're thrilled to get a copy of God's word. However, despite the prominence of Christians in Kenya, which is about 47% of the population, there is opposition at work. There's a growing Muslim population, especially in the metropolitan area of Nairobi. However, the elementary Muslim girls would take scriptures, and also when they were in the minority, they would usually take scriptures didn't generally happen when they were in a majority in a school. However, we did have an opportunity to go to a Muslim school. Uh, I negotiated with them to present to, there was a, uh, a class of Christian girls, so we expected to show up and see about 20 or 25. Instead, there were over 30 people, including several Muslim girls, who not only uh, sat in, but took copies of the Bible. After I distributed the gospel, I, uh, the, the scriptures, and shared the gospel, I asked anyone if they would like to receive Christ, and these three girls in front immediately raised their hands. But then another amazing thing happened. It just happened to be parent visitation day. And as they were getting ready to leave, they said, oh, no, we've got plenty of time. So they opened the floor for questions. Now, a lot of the Muslim girls had questions because... 
as part of the graduation test for high school, they include questions about the Bible. So they ask easy questions like, who created God? Can you explain the Trinity? My short answer is always no, by the way. Why didn't Jesus come right away after Adam and Eve sinned? My fellow Gideon was new to the Gideons, but well grounded in the Bible, and I spent about 45 minutes answering these questions. So the Holy Spirit was certainly at work. As I said, our main opportunity was the schools. We went to, this happened to be a high school men's academy. The Gideon would come with me. You see the Gideon on the left. He would introduce the Gideon ministry and introduce me. Then I would uh, talk about that New Testament that they were receiving. And then we would go to the plan of salvation that's in the back of every New Testament that we distribute. I would start out explaining uh, why gave his, God gave his word in John twenty thirty one, And then when I described that first point that God loves him, I would have the whole assembly recite John 3.16, which they all knew. At the end, I would ask it in the presentation uh, if anyone would like to receive Christ for the first time. And then I would have them repeat a prayer of salvation, stressing that we're confessing that they were sinners and placing their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone in their salvation. Of course, whenever you present the gospel message, you have one of three possible responses. The first is a negative response. Some reject the gospel. This is a picture of Albert. Millie, who was his principal, who was a Christian, was very concerned because he used to be a good student but was having difficulty in school concentrating. Based on her description, it appears that Albert is oppressed by demons. We prayed for Albert. We asked for your prayers for him as well. A second possible response is that they hear the gospel, but don't make an immediate decision. This is a picture of Christopher. I met him on my last day in one of those marketplaces you saw earlier. When I asked him if he knew the difference between religion and relationship, he invited me to the back of his store. I was a little nervous because uh, I wasn't sure what he had in mind, and I had to return in a short time to the hotel so we could return to the airport. But Christopher started out by showing me a book of Mormon. I told him that that represented religion or man's attempt to reach God and that he should throw that book away. Then, to my surprise, he pulled out an NIV Bible. I told him that that was God's word, and God had written it to establish a personal relationship with him. I asked him to read John 14, 6 out loud and ask him what it meant. But Christopher couldn't explain the scripture, so I had him read it again. I think he understood that Jesus is the only way to receive heaven, but Christopher didn't receive Jesus as his Savior at that time. Please pray for Christopher's salvation. Fortunately, there's a third response. And that's people who accept and make a decision for Christ as their personal Savior. These are boys are responding to the gospel message in an assembly. Of course, we don't know how many of them are sincere. Perhaps a better indicator are those that write their names in the back of that New Testament where they can record the date of their decision. Here's a picture of one of our team members. 
Kent is a lawyer from Mississippi. I had a great relationship with him. We would kid each other all the time. But Kent is somewhat like a typical lawyer. He's very dogmatic and outspoken. And I, in fact, told him this to his face. However, he's also a very effective as an evangelist. Here Kent is speaking at our pastor's appreciation banquet that we held the Friday evening following our second week of distribution. Kent was asked to speak and share the testimony about what occurred on the Saturday after we arrived in Kenya. Kent had been rerouted to Paris from London when he was delayed due to thunderstorms in Atlanta. When he arrived at Nairobi, his luggage had not yet arrived, so he had to go to the hotel without it. He was somewhat upset because he had no change of clothes and would have to return to the airport the next day. The next day he hired a cab and the hotel had an individual at the airport assist him in finding his luggage. The individual, who I'll call Wilfred, did an excellent job in helping Kent find his luggage. So Kent asked Wilfred if he knew the difference between religion and relationship. Wilfred did not respond, so Kent immediately went into his lawyer mode. You must answer the question. Wilfred did not respond, surprisingly. So Ken immediately went into uh, explaining the difference between immerse, uh, what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But Wilfred did not make a decision at that point. So Ken told him, you really need to make a decision, but he had to leave with the cab to get back to the hotel. However, inside the cab, the cab driver received a phone call and told Kent that it was for him. It was Wilfred on the phone. He stated that no one had ever explained the gospel message the way Kent had, and it did make sense to him. So he received Christ over the phone. But the cab driver had overheard the conversation and started to ask questions. He decided to receive Christ and did so right on the sidewalk in front of that Intercontinental Hotel. Here's a picture of another team member, Tim Thomas from South Carolina. Here's a testimony he shared of an individual named Benson. Benson was an older gentleman who was saved during the distribution. Here's Tim's words. On Thursday, September 11th, I woke up sensitive to that date As we met at 5.30 to pray, I asked God for our protection as we journeyed, for the safety of my family, our country, and our men and women who are protecting our freedoms throughout the world. We left on a bus for a 20-minute mile rendezvous out of Nairobi to meet our Gideon brothers. We left an area outside of Nairobi with our listing of six primary schools to find and make our distributions. My driver, Daniel, was from a local Gideon camp, and we soon found a primary school, but it was not on the listing. So we met with the teacher and was graciously allowed to distribute New Testaments to all the students. As we continued throughout the countryside, we found it difficult to obtain accurate directions for the intended schools until we met an elderly man named Benson. Benson was 72 years old, was a local farmer, father of eight, and grandfather to many. But Benson had lived in the area all of his life. So as we traveled along, I asked him, are you born again? He looked confused, so I followed up with the question, has there been a time in your life where Jesus, you've asked him to come into your life? Benson said, no, 
I asked him if he attended church, and he stated that he used to attend the Catholic church, but that it was too far for him to walk now that he was old. I asked him if he wanted to know Jesus and allow him to come into his life. Benson answered that he was not ready for Jesus because he was not good enough and had to work things out before such a thing could happen. I asked the driver of the car to pull over, and I got out and got in the back seat with Benson. Again, taking that New Testament, I went directly to the back page and had Benson read Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that we are still sinners. Christ died for us. And then explained that it is by faith we are saved through Christ's grace and not of ourselves. I shared with Benson that I too was raised a Roman Catholic, but realized at the age of 28 I was lost and in need of a Savior. So I took his hand in mine. I immediately noticed how hard and calloused it was. But when I looked in his face, I saw that there were tears streaming down. I then realized that his heart was softened. Before I could ask the next question, Benson said, Yes, I want Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. Benson prayed to receive Christ as his Savior in the back seat of that car, and later that day, as you can see, signed his name in the back of that little New Testament. As we all rejoiced over what God had done, I came to realize that it was God's plan for me to start late that day. His plan for us needing help in finding schools, and his plan for us to pick up 72-year-old Benson and to pair me with him so I could share my salvation experience with him and so that he, too, could become a child of the king. So here is a summary of what we were able to accomplish on that two-week blitz. As you can see, we've visited thousands of schools, hospitals, medical facilities, and jails. And I were able to distribute almost 615,000 scriptures in two weeks. So what lessons did I learn? First, God does not reward ability, but he does reward or honor availability. Zechariah 4.6 says, This is the word of the Lord Zerubbabel, not by my might or power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Secondly, we're responsible for only carrying out the work. God is responsible for the outcome. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Third, and probably the most critical component, is prayer. I have to confess, my first day of distribution, I didn't really know that plan of salvation too well in the book. So I didn't do a good job of evangelism. When I got back, my leader kind of chastised me and said, hey, that's why we're here. So that night I spent memorizing that presentation. And I also prayed. And I actually had the ability to contact my wife, and I had 50 prayer partners here. Uh, so she sent a prayer request. And God laid on my heart Ephesians six eighteen through 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make them known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Unless we forget our purpose for the Gideons and evangelicals is to win men and women and boys and girls for Jesus Christ, this little girl is recording her decision 
and I look forward to receiving, seeing her again in heaven someday. So what can you do to support the Gideon ministry? First, pray. Pray for the Gideons and keep us in your prayers. Pray that we'll have more open doors for scripture distributions. Secondly, join. Consider joining the Gideon ministry. Every Gideon is a born-again business or professional man as a member of a local church like Reformation Orthodox Presbyterian. We need other men who are looking for an extended area of ministry. And third, give. If God leads you to do so, give to the Gideon ministry. Every dollar you contribute to the Gideons will be used to print, purchase, and ship scriptures around the world. A Gideon-placed hotel Bible like this one has the potential to reach 2,300 people during its life cycle and only costs $5. The New Testament only costs about $1.25. And as you can see, we distribute in schools, prisons, hospitals, and elsewhere throughout the world. For your convenience, you may make a check uh, payable to the Gideons or there's a credit card insert available in your bulletin. There's another exciting way that you can place God's word in, your hand, in the hands of someone and pay tribute to them. This is a Gideon's Expressions greeting cards. You may use them for an important event or to let people know you're thinking of them. I'm going to skip this. Pastor McNeil, class, thank you for this opportunity to talk about the Gideon ministry and its impact around the world. What questions do you have about the Gideon ministry or international distributions? Yes. Yeah, uh, might need help from uh, <laughs> Doug on this, but it was I think it was 1898. We had uh, three Christian businessmen were together, and in those days they didn't have a lot of room, so they ended up sharing a room in a hotel. And uh, they didn't want to do what other guys were doing, which was namely gambling or drinking, so they decided to pray together. And as a result, they stayed in contact and they decided that they wanted to form a group. And, of course, uh, they knew that they were few in numbers, so they thought of Gideons, and so they took on the name as part of the Gideon ministry. Yes? Okay, we use the, uh, we have two versions in the United States, the King James Version and also the English Standard Version. Most of what we distribute is the newer English standard version. As you can see in other countries, we use the standard version for that country. And in some cases, like in Kenya, we're doing both English and Swahili. We do not. We have about five printers in the world. Uh, Let's see, where is one? It's in... Philadelphia is one of the largest ones in the United States. There's also one in China that has been printing for us there. I'd heard rumors that that printing press had been established by Billy Graham when he was in China. 
There's also one in India because we have a large distribution effort in India. India is becoming the largest distribution point in the world now. The doors have really opened. Yes? Yeah, Africa, Africa and the Latin America have been very hot items. And now recently, uh, uh, India and Southeast Asia is starting to become more of a, a focal point. Is it decreasing in the U.S.? It is decreasing in the United States, unfortunately. Uh, of course, we cannot get into schools. You saw we could get into classrooms there. We have to stand on sidewalks. And quite often in Lacey, we have the police called on us. Uh, we do as we have the right to do that to stand on a public sidewalk, but we are always courteous and let the administration know that we're coming uh, in case there are issues or complaints. Yes. Uh, we're not doing it now. Two reasons. One is cost and the other is size. We're trying to keep them to where they're pocket size so people can put them with them and carry them. Obviously, we believe in the full Bible and do, that's what we place in hotel rooms. Uh, of course, it's cheaper also to just produce the New Testament. Yes? Do, when you went to Kenya, did you personally finance your trip? Oh, good question. <laughs> I probably shouldn't share this. You might think we're gullible. We pay all the overhead for the organization out of our dues. And then any trips like this, and Doug's gone on, what, four now? We pay for it out of our own pocket. And, uh, you know, it's expensive going to Kenya. It's about $5,000, quite frankly. But, I mean, I would go again. Well, but then, because I asked because you said that all the money goes to printing the Bibles. Right. Yeah, uh, and in fact, most of the world, they don't have enough money, like in Kenya, to purchase scriptures. So uh, we have a faith fund that where we collect money uh, to do that, as well as the Gideon Card program. Uh, so all that money uh, goes for the uh, distribution in those countries. And so they were shipped there, and we received them when we got there. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons uh, for the colors is we track where where they go. So we lose use like orange for elementary school, green for colleges. Uh, this is called a facilities one. It's a brown one. We use that. We go to the gospel mission once a month. Uh, Doug and I serve there, and we give out these. Uh, the burgundy ones are the personal ones that we carry. We give out. Our ladies have a blue one that they give out. White ones are medical. We have, uh, of course, the hotel Bibles come in about four colors. But it's mainly just to keep track of uh, where they've gone so we can idea of how many we need to print because of the cost of printing. Well, thank you very much. <laughs>